Welcome to Annyeonghaseyo Mate, a free podcast from the Australian Embassy in Seoul. This podcast is designed for Koreans and Australians who are interested in learning more about each other. But now, over to Ravi. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. It is really an honour to have with us Professor John Matic. Professor Matic is the Executive Director of the Garvin Institute of Medical Research. Uh, he's also been a former uh, member of the CSIRO, and we'll talk about that in a bit. And he has been named by the National Health and Medical Research Council as one of the all-time high achievers in Australian health and medical research. Welcome, Professor Matic. Well, thank you, Robin. Good morning. First of all, uh, I think the simple questions are always the best. What brings you to Seoul? I've come to Seoul to uh, participate in a a health conference that is looking at the role of uh, the genomic revolution in uh, transforming healthcare from the art of crisis management to to the science of of good health through precision medicine. Okay, and uh, there's a lot there to unpack, but I might just take one step back and uh, uh, if you could please tell us exactly what the Garvin Institute of Medical Research is all about. The Garvin Institute of Medical Research is uh, one of Australia's premier research medical research institutes. It's a broad-spectrum institute that's focused on, on cancer, immunological disorders, neurological disorders, uh, diabetes, uh, bone diseases, etc. Uh, I think uh, the unifying feature of the Garvin now and its, uh, its international prominence is because we are now one of the leaders, not just in Australia, but, but in the world of the... Um, the application of genomic research to understanding human biology and disease. So I should sort of declare an interest here, of course, in that the charitable arm of the Garvin Institute is um, something that I am a very keen supporter of in Mm. in terms of um, personal uh, donations. So I have have a, um, a very keen interest in uh, the work that you do, but it is also something that on one hand fills me with hope, but also fills me with uh, great despair because some of the very sad stories that underlie uh, what the work is all about. But let's focus on the hope aspect in terms of you know the cures, as, as you uh, talked about, the, some of the biomedical developments. Uh, how far away are we from a cure for cancer? Um, I think uh, we're very close. Um, in the area of cancer, we've made extraordinary strides over the last 30 or 40 years. Uh, ever since it became obvious that cancer was a, uh, a genetic disease of damage to genes that control normal growth and development, once you understand the basis of a problem, then you can work out strategies to fix it. Uh, survival rates from cancer are, have increased enormously. Uh, the new uh, generation of targeted drugs that are actually um, directed towards the actual mutations causing particular cancers are having spectacular effects. And the unexpected arrival of the so-called immunotherapies, where uh, a new class of drugs is actually reactivating the immune system to fight cancer, 
appear to be having curative outcomes uh, in a, a large proportion of melanomas and lung cancers and others. Uh, and we're still trying to figure out why some people respond so well and some not. But it's been extraordinary progress. And, and I would say with a lot of confidence that ours will be the last generation to die of cancer. That's remarkable. Is that, uh, would you say that is across all cancers? I mean, you, you made the comment there that, you know, once you understood the basic aspect of cancer, uh, but is that the case for all? Look, the, the, the progress uh, in, in, in treating and now uh, increasingly curing cancers uh, is, is, um, is variable because different cancers uh, present different challenges, but progress is being made across the board. One of the, the things we realised, and Garvin was one of the pioneers in this, when we started to sequence cancers, uh, what became obvious very quickly was that cancers are not only caused by a range of mutations, but that range of mutations is common in different cancers. So the same sorts of mutations cause breast cancer and colon cancer and pancreatic cancer, albeit in different ratios or different proportions. Once we knew that, then we could take drugs that were developed to treat a particular variation in breast cancer to treat a subset of colon cancers, etc. So, so the, the spreading of this knowledge across this landscape is happening very quickly. I should also say that genomic analysis, and that's the ability to sequence all of the DNA you inherited from mum and dad uh, at scale, is actually giving us an entirely new way of dealing with cancer as well. And we've just published this with the National Cancer Institute in the United States, that if we use genomic information to predict those people who may be at high risk for cancer because they already suffer mutations that they've inherited in some of these important cancer-causing genes, and then uh, subject those individuals to high-resolution magnetic resonance imaging to see if they've got cancer. 10% mm -hmm. uh, of those people had cancer they didn't know about. Gosh. It's fantastic because at that stage it's pre-symptomatic and it's easy to remove by surgery mm. before the cancer has become uh, aggressive mm. and metastasized, which is where the real problem is. So I think the combination of actually understanding personal risk and tailoring screening strategies to suit that risk, mm. as well as having next generation drugs to deal with the problem if, it, if it's got past it that. Yes, manifest. Yeah. Uh, it, it, the combination is, is making uh, kind of extraordinary. Mm. Now, the role of a medical research institute is um, to to make conceptual and practical advances that uh, you know improve health. Mm. Now, for all of us, you know, you talked. Uh, about despair and hope. Mm. Um, despair comes when, when people suffer diseases out of the blue. It could be a disabled child because of a genetic disorder. It could be early onset cancer, mm. cardiac arrest. Uh, and what we all want, and the hope on the other side of that, mm -hmm. is to live a, a long, healthy mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. where um, the quality of our life is not compromised prematurely by um, these sorts of health problems. Uh, and and we were achieving that. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, the lifespan is now increased mm -hmm. enormously over the last hundred years, but also the length of healthy lifespan. That's the job. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've still got a long way to go, but mm -hmm. boy, we're, the, the field, mm -hmm. the investment in medical research by governments, by citizens through mm -hmm. the taxations, by people, philanthropists, has paid off enormously. Mm -hmm. And anybody who goes to a hospital 
for treatment this day actually understands that. That's um, a very good and uh, fair point. Um, one thing you said, though, I wanted to unpack a little bit more, and I know we have to wind up very quickly. But one thing that I do want to unpack in what you said is about this issue of um, screening and being able to tell that someone might be more prone to, in this case, cancer. That, of course, raises all sorts of ethical issues and flows into all sorts of financial uh, decisions with regard to insurance yes. and uh, and all of that. Um, and I note that you've, of course, had uh, in your time also a, a role to play with respect to uh, the Australian Health Ethics Committee. So I wondered if you could share a few thoughts on on that bundle of issues. Yes, so, so the first issue is if you have information that an individual is at very high risk, say, for cancer, uh, should you tell them or, you know, um, it, and, and I think the, the general answer is yes, but it should have an element of choice of the patient. So what we say to people is this is the sort of information we may obtain. Uh, if we do, uh, would you want to be advised? Mm. We, uh, our our um, recommendation is that you, you might consider saying yes, because if we identify this risk, the probability or the possibility that risk will strike you is significantly reduced. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, if I tell you you're at high risk for cancer, that may be unwelcome news and you may worry about that. But my, uh, my response is try not to worry, but do turn up every year for an intensive screen and we'll pick it up early and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So that's better than waiting for the, the Damocles sword to drop. Yes. So. Now, the same argument applies to the insurance industry. There's a lot of concern about um, discrimination of people on the basis of genetic risk. And some jurisdictions have legislated to more or less extent uh, that you cannot discriminate on the basis of uh, genetic risk. Uh, That's certainly the case for private health insurance in Australia. Mm. Uh, It's just been introduced across the board, including life insurance in Canada. However, we now understand that this knowledge of genetic risk actually reduces the risk. So uh, my understanding is that the insurance companies are now looking at reducing premiums if genomic information is made available with the promise of no penalty for genetic risk because the odds that they will have to pay out prematurely for a cardiac arrest death Mm. or a cancer death Mm. is significantly reduced if you know those risks are there because they can be mitigated either by a pacemaker in the case of heart cardiac problems Mm. in many cases or... Uh, by regular screening and early surgical intervention. Mm. Finally, Professor Matic, um, I just wanted to come back to your time in Korea and talk about um, existing collaboration between Australia and Korea and or between the Garvin Institute and Korea and just um, you know find out what's going on in that space. We have a, a developing and very positive uh, collaboration with the Asan Medical Centre, and mm-hmm. I'll be visiting with them uh, all afternoon today. Mm-hmm. Uh, senior leadership of Asan came to visit Garvin uh, earlier in the year, and we have an MOU. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're talking about how we crystallise that into action. Uh, from our point of view, not just Garvin, but Australia, I think we're very keen to embrace uh, Korean Uh, uh, research enterprises and also industry. I think we have a lot of synergies, a lot to offer each other Uh, and the first step of course is to get to know each other and that's Mm. 
part of the reason I'm here. Mm. Well, uh, as my listeners would have heard me say many times, uh, this is an amazing country, and um, I think there is a lot that we can do together. So, um, particularly in this space, I'm delighted that you are here, and I'm delighted to have Gavin uh, working together with Asan and with others. Um, so, thank you very much for coming, and thank you very much for your time on the podcast. Thank you, Ron. That's it for today's podcast. We welcome your feedback. Email us at soul-inform at dfat.gov.au. Let us know if there are any particular topics you would like us to cover. You can find us on Facebook, Australia in the Republic of Korea. Annyeonghaseyo mate is not to be quoted or rebroadcast in any form without permission from the Australian Embassy. Comments in the podcast may not reflect official Australian government policy. Thanks for listening to this podcast. See you next time. Annyeonghaseyo mate.